Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Konnichiwa, everyone. Today's guest is Jamie Wolford, guitarist and lead vocalist for the Minneapolis, Minnesota rock band, The Stereo. Jamie and I take a deep dive into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their fan-favorite single, New Tokyo is Calling, taken from their 2001 album, No Traffic. I was surprised to hear that this particular version of the song was completely re-recorded, save for the vocals. Jamie explained the arduous process that went into transferring his vocal tracks from the first version to this one, before everything could be easily moved around with computers. He also discussed how the lyrics were autobiographical, and the story behind them, super cool. Totally unexpected and abstract in a way that makes me like the song even more. I mentioned to Jamie that I felt the stereo was about five years ahead of their time, influencing a whole generation of bands who came after them. And I'm excited to announce that the band is back together with a new album and a whole bunch of other great stuff in the works. For all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. All right, Jamie, what's happening? Oh, not much, Chris. I'm so happy to be on your show. Like, I love your show. I've listened to many episodes, and I'm just honored to be a part of this. This is fantastic. Well, you know, before we started rolling, we were we were going through all this technical stuff. Jamie was starting to uh, check his microphone and stuff, and finally he just stopped and said, "Wait a second. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good to see you." And I appreciate that you did that because uh, it's been a minute. It has been a hot minute. Yes, it has. For those that don't know, uh, d- gosh, I've known Jamie forever. Um, d- did Animal Chin, your first band, ever play with Less Than Jake? I want to say you guys broke up before we had a chance to play together. No, we we did. We played. Um... Was it Madison, Wisconsin? Yeah, that was our first show with you at the um, at weird cafe that you used to have to drive up onto the sidewalk to load. I can see it now. You can smell it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Brad from Rhetoric Records had promoted that show, if I remember correctly. We actually used to play there kind of frequently, but it was like in the middle of this little like little like strip molly kind of thing on campus. It was like a. Tr- it felt like it was a triangle. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I just can't remember the name of it. Um, but yeah, that was our first time playing with you guys. I think that was the first time we met you guys and it, it, the whole thing. And then um, I know we played several shows with Lesson Jake. We did Slims in San Francisco. Primarily the, 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 our tour time together was with the stereo. But Hamilton did play a few, uh, several scattered shows across the the states with you guys at different times. Sure, and I, I've talked to you about Animal Chin. I know that was you know one of your first bands, and it probably pained you to go back and listen to those recordings because they were done on a shoestring budget. But uh, the energy coming out of those recordings, you, you guys were a great band. Thank you. Stop this, stop this, stop this, stop this. 
people still talk about that band. Uh, I'll, I'll be out on the road and, yeah. and people still bring you guys up. Hey, you know what? If you can, if you're lucky enough to be able to just play music, right, that's its own reward. If you're then lucky enough to play music that people enjoy, that's yet another tier of reward. And then if you're able to do something that touches people in a way that they remember it years later, you know, that's it. Pack it up. You're, you you did it. Yeah. You, did a, you, you, you added to the continuum of music. I'll say it this way. I'm honored to have been a, a contributor to the sort of the lineage of rock and roll music that has given me so much in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been touched by music all throughout my life. And, and, and there have been songs that on certain days seem like they save your life, you know, and, and if I can give anything like that back to someone else, it's a win-win, you know, it feels just as good to me as it does hopefully for them as well. You know, it's funny uh, as a fan, you can relate to this. You go back and listen to any of those early punk records that we, we grew up with. We, we don't hear the sloppiness and the bad production and the mistakes. All we hear is the memories when we listen yeah. to that. And, and, and that's when someone comes up to me with my, their, their first Less Than Jake record. This record changed my right. life. I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a bad demo, but I'll, I'll sign your record cover. Sure, you're, sure. You're, elated, you're elated and you're in the moment for the reasons you just stated. I'm sure you would say something similar to this, right? But when we were making those records, we didn't know we were doing it weird or wrong or, or even if we were wandering into some sort of greatness, a moment of greatness. You know, we were just trying to piece together an idea that we had and a song that at the time seemed pretty cool to us, you know, just kids kind of just figuring it out. Right. Like if you listen to the beginning of nervous breakdown by, by black flag, right. There's definitely a disconnect between the guitar and when the drums kick in and then, and then it settles after like a measure or something of that, of that drum march, but I don't give a damn. Right. I, I don't care that it's not perfect. I'm just like, where's my fucking skateboard? Let's let's do this. You know what I mean? Like, and it, <laughs> yeah. it takes me right back to being like in like seventh grade and in the Minnesota winters, you know, pulling my my, my parents uh, cars out of the garage so that I could like skateboard in the garage in like December when it was like freezing, yeah. you know, 18 inches of snow outside space heaters to try to dry the wet spots from left from melting snow in the garage <laughs> and, and building a, you know, a crappy little like uh, a quarter pipe in there and just wrecking the garage with me and my friends on skateboards, blasting black flag out of a boom box. I mean, that to me is kind of what I'm talking about. Like I got so much out of that band right back then at, 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 at in seventh grade and to go on and add to that continuum is like the, the best thing you could ever do with your life. My brain just decided, I think, to start working. Was it called the Mango Lounge? Oh, yeah, dude. Mango, mango something. <laughs> mango Cafe? Yeah, something like that. Mango Mango Central. You know, I don't know. All it's right. Mango something. Wow. I would have never have come to that. And so thank you. I got... <laughs> Jamie, I am full of useless knowledge, my friend. Yeah, you know, and, and the only thing the only time it the only time it's ever come of any use is this podcast. So I'm now thankful for it. But you're finally redirecting your your skill sets, right? To the right. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm trying my hardest, you know, and, and I was thinking from that initial time with Animal Chin, the next thing I know, it was literally, I want to say it was John Janik and Vinny talking about, hey, Rory 
uh, from the Impossibles, who we were huge fans of. Just yeah, we were like love that band. Did a ton of shows with them. Mm-hmm. Rory and Jamie have formed a project called The Stereo. Mm-hmm. And this was around 1999, and now. You guys got signed to Fuel by Ramen, but 1999 Fuel by Ramen wasn't what they became. Yeah, no, it was just another indie, you know, underground sort of punk rock record label, you know, that kind of like served the punk rock, ska, punk ska, you know, a little a little bit of like electronic stuff at the time, you know, or at least it started to get turned that way. But But just basically indie, cool indie underground bands that all had sort of like an affinity for style of music and that um that culture and yeah we uh, it's kind of a right place right time situation because i didn't know any of you guys you know but we knew skin and pickle or we knew uh, mike park and that's how i got sort of introduced into the fbr world which was we gave mike a, a set of some animal chin demos and who <laughs> he passed i guess he passed on it because he gave <laughs> it to finney but Vinny was like, this is great. Like, and gave, then gave it to John. John, figure out who these people are and call them and, 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 and let's do a deal with them because I really like this. So, and that was, that was the introduction, you know. I, you know, it's funny, like the term fueled by ramen, I, it must have been sort of like a colloquialism of your, of your guys' camp or something like that. Because for like the first like four or five conversations that I ever had with John, he kept saying, hey, fueled by ramen records. And I, I didn't actually know what he was saying. <laughs> like I kept going, and, but I, I was like, and I was a kid. So I was kind of like going, Oh, this record label guy contacted me. And, and I didn't want to keep asking him. I think I did ask him like three times, like, what is it called? And he, and, and he would slow it down, but I still didn't understand because we're just on a, a phone call. Right. And so I just stopped, I stopped asking. And then I would go back to the band and the band is like, Oh, so, um, you know, what's the label called again? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> we're going to do this deal well, with them. <laughs> I, I, I got a level with you. I got a level with you. It might be the worst name ever for a record label that's not got as huge as they got. It's not no, great. It's, <laughs> and and, and, and it, it, bore, it bore out of our diet. We were basically yeah. eating ramen and we, right. we started fueled by ramen out of our apartment. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, we were fueled, we were fueled by a uh, 10 cent noodle packs because that was all we could, we could afford to eat. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's why it, it's been abbreviated to FBR. People say o- over the years, it's a little rolls off the tongue a little bit better, but you know, your debut record 300 came out that summer of 99 and you know instantly it was just a classic it sounded really good and i'm sure 99 that record wasn't done to pro tools i'm sure it was no. 300 done analog uh, so it was actually re- recorded to adat do you remember that format the, oh, of the, course yeah yep so we recorded D- on digital ADAT. tape yep it was, dig- it was actually digital videotape it was like a it's called yeah. super video this was technically the format but then we bounced it all over to um to analog tape for the mix so it did hit some tape at the end there. And I think that was just a method that our, our mix guy, Jay Robbins, you know, he, he was like, I'm going to, you know, fire it off the tape. I don't want to, we don't, I don't even know if that, that studio that he worked at had ADAT. So I think he actually had to do a transfer at some point before I, Right. He showed up at the studio. So, and, and for our listeners, Jay Robbins is from uh, uh, Jawbox, a highly influential band to to me, and I and I know I know Jamie. Uh, the yeah. new Tokyo is calling. Uh, EP came out in July of 2000, and something I didn't know, uh, you know, I knew it was on No Traffic, but I just figured it was the same version. Now the EP was produced by Jay. But on the version that ended up on No Traffic that we're going to talk about today, just the vocal track was kept for that, but you re-recorded everything. And how, how did that come about? Yeah, I'm sure you know this, obviously. Like, whenever you go to make a, a proper album, 
more often than not, you do a, some sort of demo form of it, right? There's a it's some sort of like sort of informal recording made in advance of the recording. And it's got a, a couple of attributes of that process is that it sort of re- weeds out what does and doesn't work. It, it, it gives, you know, you can kind of test out your ideas, whatnot. Uh, is this tempo good? Is this tempo bad? Is this is this key too high for me to sing it, et cetera, right? Which back in those days, there was no key that I thought was too high for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> considering you, like, considering right. you were you, you were singing in a register only dogs could hear right, sometimes. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, that's maybe that's the, the reason the stereo <laughs> didn't catch on with, you know, outside of the canine population. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, so we made a demo for New Tokyo and then we went to do the EP with Jay and we recorded that again. But I did record actually all my own vocals back at our kind of our home studio, actually at, at, at Jeremy's house in Milwaukee. And I really got to the point where that song was like, I don't want to record this a third time. And, and when we, we were going to do the song for No Traffic, the plan was just to re-record it again and just do it in yet even better form for our album. And then the EP would just have this different version. But I sort of made the decision to not sing it again. And I got this harebrained idea. It's sort of like an experiment. Like, well, if I can do this, I can pull this off, then I won't have to sing it again. But if this doesn't work, then I'll just um, I'll just have to sing it again. But in the day of you know day and age of Pro Tools now, you can fly vocals around extraordinarily easy. I mean, you could use the same chorus for the last chorus. You can you can put vocals from one song and another song and change keys with you know do whatever you can pretty much imagine. Like it's all modular. But when you're dealing with a like a non uh, or a linear based um, recording medium like tape, and then you're switching them, so like the no traffic sessions were actually recorded on analog tape, and the vocals from the f- form of New Tokyo was recorded on the ADATs again. So I had this, I, I needed to figure out a way to record the vocals onto the, the, the tape that we just made for no traffic. And obviously you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, that's kind of weird. You could, you know, so you'd basically just sync them up. Right. And if it's the same tempo, you hit record and you just play it over as long as it's lined up. Right. Well, there's drift. There's you know the tempo, the the metronome that we used on the on the EP isn't the it might have been like 128 or whatever, but it, and 128 on the tape as well. But there's just drift. It doesn't work, right? You go like a line. Yeah, and are, or so. and are the machine are the machines calibrated correctly too? Exactly, exactly. And and no is probably the answer, right? So what I did, <laughs> I, I came up with this extraordinarily hokey way of doing it, where I essentially told the tape machine that the singer that you're recording is actually this, this tape other tape machine. And I would record it in line by line, but I would digitally offset the, um, there was a way to sync it. Uh, and I digitally offset it inside the ADAT where, so I'd be like, okay, I need to move now the vocals another 22 frames to the left so that it gets locked back into the, the beat. And I essentially just went through and like, sort of like a comp, you, you know, you, you do nowadays. And I just, basically recorded in the lines one at a time, sometimes breaking up words because the, the ending, uh, uh, you know, sustain of the note or whatever, the envelope would end in a weird spot that I didn't, I wouldn't sing it that way. So I would have to actually punch in the middle of the word and do some really strange things. But I went through line by line and just recorded one tape machine to another until it sounded perfectly in sync. And then I go back and listen to the song and anything that bothered me, I would go back and had all these notes of like just like they were in time indexes and i go okay let me shift that another like 15 frames to the and it took hours 
it actually probably took about 10 hours longer than it would have had I just re-sang it. <laughs> okay, that, that's what I was going to ask. And, right. and the, for, for, for the listeners, Jamie, what he just laid out is a colossal pain in the rear end. Okay, this, right. is, a, this is a nightmare. There is something special about the vocals as well as the harmonies on this track. Is that why you kept it to, to preserve that? Because otherwise you just would have sang it. I would have just sang it again. You know, obviously we sang the song every night for years, but um, there was something about the, the the take that I did. I really pushed my voice. I was I was kind of drifting away from that style of singing after I left Animal Chin. Animal Chin, I was I was sort of balls to the wall. I didn't really know how to sing, and so I just sing in a way that was uh, reminiscent of what you would sing like when you're in a club with like terrible monitors, right? You're almost kind of relying on the back wall to bounce your voice back to you just to get any you know, sort of like feedback of, you know, that you know what you're doing and you're doing it well. And so inevitably you just end up like, like singing as loud as you can just to try to drive the PA so people can hear you so you can hear yourself. And I sing like that all throughout Animal Chin and all on the records. When I got to the stereo, I tried to pull back a little bit because I was, I, I obviously realized as you do this more and more, you, you get better at your crafting. You know, I don't have to like sing with the gas pedal all the way down all the time, you know? Yeah. So, but on that song, I kind of did. And I was like, okay, kind of, you know, this is, I think the energy that this song requires. So to do it again and then maybe fall short or not even fall short, but just have a lateral move didn't seem like a, a like something I was going to be happy with. So I, I sort of committed to just figuring out a way to get these vocals on that recording. Other than talking about it to you this many years later, nobody really noticed <laughs> so well my, my my next question is i'm assuming you you know wanted to include it on no traffic because you saw what a standout it was live you saw the reaction from the fans it, yeah. and, and was fueled by ramen behind that decision to re-release it again um i don't think there was any I, I can't recall any sort of like uh initiative by the label to be like that's the song this is whatever i mean you know it, it was all very uh diplomatic and democratic yeah. i suppose back in those days where my my tenure there, they never felt like there was like the label suits and then the band, you know, which yeah. would be sort of indicative of a of a scenario that you might expect from like a major label, or at least what people think like dealing with a major label is like. Well, in, in all fairness, it hadn't got to that point yet. I mean, you guys yeah, we just uh, kids. disbanded. You, you guys disbanded the first time in two thousand four, so you were a band for about five years, and that was kind of before Fallout Boy and mm -hmm. uh, Gym Class Heroes and Paramore had hit. It was before, so. I want to jump into the track now, and sure. I, I'm not just saying this. I've known you for going on 30 years, bud. I, it, I, yeah, I'm just wow. throwing this out there. This is one of the most perfect little pop songs. It's just wow. Thank there, you. There's, <laughs> there's 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 no filler in it, and uh, I don't know. Have you ever thought about uh, lending this to another band to record? I think I think this song's amazing. Uh, you mean like like almost like give it away to somebody to cover or something? Yeah, I mean, I mean, people I, are welcome to cover it. Uh, I guess I'm not holding it in some sort of like penalty box or anything like that. <laughs> sure. You know, sure. Uh, I know that's probably, probably kind of a weird question. I've never asked anybody th that on the show, or I probably never even asked any of my other musician friends, but I just feel this is a song that deserves, uh, d deserves to be heard. Thank you, Chris. Uh, for a variety of reasons. Thank you. Because of, a, because we've known each other so long and I appreciate that. And I appreciate your life and, and experience and your knowledge about music and this, that, and the other, but also just for the straight up, compliment of it you know you never know what these things that you create in your head are going to do for people you know what they you kind of know what they do for you in the moment and then you hope that when you share it, it it makes some sort of connection but it's always it's always just so nice to hear other people 
take a look at what you do and then go, you know, this is good. And it means a lot to me. So I, I'm just tickled. Thank you. Last thing I'll say, we're going to jump into the song. I feel that your band was uh, five years ahead of its time. You guys just, you had, you really had something special. And I feel that you were just ahead of a lot of the stuff that came out right after you that, that uh, was influenced uh, by your band. Uh, New Tokyo is calling is two minutes and 46 seconds long. Starts out with like a kick drum and a guitar slide. Drums, bass, and stereo guitars are in off the top. Tambourines in there doing 16th notes. And uh, this goes on for eight measures. It's the chorus progression. Uh, Before the band stops, we get into verse one. Jamie by himself says, don't run away. The band comes in. The lyric is so inclined to take the easy way. Don't cause a scene. Don't decide you are through. You're not so tough. Things are rough. Find a better way. Something gets a hold of me when my head gets inside of you. And on that line, my head gets inside of you. The drums, bass, and guitars ring out before chorus one. So set these lyrics up for us. Uh, like what do they? What does it all mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm intrigued. New Tokyo is calling. How was it about Tokyo? I don't even know. Had you ever even been to Japan by that point yet? No, I hadn't. And in fact, like it was set up at that point. Like we, or at least we had signed. Or I knew I got a phone call. I, I'm assuming it was from John Janik and uh, talking about doing a licensing deal in Japan with JBC Victor which is a you know big big label in Japan essentially it acts like kind of like a major or whatever so they're going to re-release our album over there in Japan and that we would eventually come over to support whatever new record we were doing at that time it would have been no traffic so i got off the phone and i it, going overseas was a definitely a sort of like a lifelong dream of mine to you know to have my music like get me on a plane and take me to a, a strange land right and I'm sure anybody that has done this, this job, right, we'll call it a job for a minute, has had the experience of, I can't believe that my songs are like, you know, giving me a free vacation with my friends, right? So I got off the phone with John and I essentially wrote the whole music thing in about 30 minutes, just with this feeling of just bliss of, I got this great opportunity coming my way. And I just worked it all out. I worked the melody out and the sort of the marble mush, you know, baby gibberish vocals, you know, that whole mess that we do when we write songs. <laughs> yeah. And I probably had don't run away. I probably had call you. And then maybe the you at the end of the chorus kind of thing, but everything else was sort of just like nebulous and, and just phonetics at that point. Uh, the lyrics came about probably a, several weeks later. We actually started playing the song before I had lyrics like at shows, again, going back to the whole, you know, these PAs of most of the clubs that were playing back then, when you're, when your band's on stage with Marshall Stacks and, you know, live drums and all that stuff, a lot of times your vocals are almost just sort of like, you can kind of hear grunting, <laughs> you know, coming out of the, the, if you're lucky. So I was like, do we really need to have lyrics tonight for this? They're not done. Does it matter? Okay. I was just singing anyway. So of, of course this is pre YouTube too. So it didn't matter. Right. Yeah. Nobody would know if the moment has gone in two minutes and 40 <laughs> seconds. Right. Uh, yeah. 
But to answer your question, the lyrics to me, are it's a little bit of a schizophrenic release of some of the tensions that had been sort of uh, surrounding me and the band at that time. Don't Run Away, So Inclined to Take the Easy Way is sort of like a statement at me, from me, right? Don't run away from this. Don't don't go the easy way. Don't cause a scene. Don't, is is me telling me basically don't uh don't get uppity with all the, the the punk rock naysayers around you you know don't decide you're through don't give up right this is this is a pep talk to myself in some respects wow you're not so tough things are rough find a better way uh something gets a hold of me when my head gets inside of you is it, it kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of this podcast like there's something magical about the idea of me making something that means something to someone else right something gets inside of me when my head gets inside of you. That's what mm-hmm. that lyric means to me. And then, you know, call you, this is for, well, I'll stop there because it sounds like you're going to dissect it even further. Well, so. we, we are, but the, I'm I'm kind of intrigued right now with where, where you're going with this. I had no idea. You could have told me, oh, this was about a girl. She, right. I, I met her online. I met, we were writing, you know, pen pal letters back and forth from Tokyo. Right. I had no idea where you were going with this. And it's, it's really cool. And some of the things that you just touched on about, you know, the punk rock thing, you know, early on, um, and I, this is probably no secret to you. I had heard Jamie from the stereo is difficult to work with. Yeah. And I said, after I, meeting you and I am. after meeting, <laughs> I am extraordinarily after, difficult to work with <laughs> after meeting you and knowing you, what a, what a sweet person you are. I would always just say, you know, a couple of times that that, that came up. Oh, somebody that's passionate, you know, passionate about his music and is driven and knows exactly what he wants. Cool. I'm the same way. So right. I get it. Well, I appreciate the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the lifelong sort of like uh, uh, cheerleading that you've always given me. I appreciate that. And and uh, let me know if the, if the checks need to, you know, to compensate for inflation. You know, I think. No, but I mean, it, like you, how many times have you heard someone's difficult? And, and yeah. typically what that means is they're, they're passionate about their art and what they're creating. And, you know? and ultimately and that's, that's, that's what I was trying to do. I, I never, you know, back then, especially like I, you know, there was a level of ambition that I was, you know, uh, using to drive my band with that was probably unhealthy. You know, it probably, I mean, I was, yeah, I, it was unhealthy. It just was like, I think I, I, I sort of like fell into this idea that unless it was difficult, unless it was, you know, a, a, a arduous thing, we weren't trying hard enough at it. And and I, I would always, I just had these bizarre standards in my head where I'm just like, people that made it in the music business didn't do it because they were lazy, right? They didn't do it because like they just, I mean, I mean and, and oddly enough, now I, I'm old enough to understand, well, some people were just extraordinarily lucky, but other people were just extraordinarily talented, right? Sure. And I didn't think of myself uh, as lucky or talented. I just wanted to, I was like, I'll just replace that with effort. Right. And I think that can kind of wind people up in a bad way. And yeah, I got the reputation for being difficult, but it wasn't because I was trying to be a dick. It was because I was trying to be great. I wanted to be as great as the people that I loved. I wanted to be the descendants of, of pop rock radio eighties ripoff punk. Well, it it was also easy to defend you because I wasn't in a band with you. So (laughs) yeah, you and I had no sort of creative butting heads, right? You know, you you try being in a band with Roger, or you try being in a band with me. We're not the easiest easiest people either. You know, I would imagine that you would exhibit those things, and when, especially if you have an idea you're you're passionate about. I, I just my limited sort of creative involvement that I've had with you and Roger over the years. You guys know what you're. You guys know what you're doing. You guys have an idea. Yeah, you, and you, you hear something in your head, and you want it to come to fruition. And there's why say no to that? Why tell you no? 
<laughs> figure out that thing. It's either going to work or it doesn't, right? You know, and back the problem is though, back then, right? When we're all kids doing this, like there's the what do you know, kid vibe that happens. Even similarly aged people, like why why should we listen to you? What makes you so special to know this, that, or the other, right? And and the answer is well, nothing really. But like this is I, I I'm just I have the idea at the moment. Let's try it, you know. And and some people go to work with the I'm cashing my check mentality, and other people go like I want to make something great. You know, and until yeah. you can surround yourself with people that want to make themselves want to want to make something great with you, there's going to be acrimony. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Jamie Wolford after a few words from our sponsors. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All hail the kings of no hope. Down the stairs we roll. And now, back to the show. Well, I think the only song on this show uh, that got to the chorus quicker at 23 seconds was uh, What's My Age Again uh, with, when I had Mark Hoppus on. But uh, 29 seconds. We're in the first chorus of New Tokyo's Calling. Call you. This is for you. I will see you from a new view. New Tokyo is calling you. And there's harmonies on the line. Call you at the top. I will see you from a new view. And the very last you uh, in the last line. There's harmonies there. Did the song, and I went and looked for it, Jamie. I could only find the no traffic version. The Jay Robbins produced version. Did Was the arrangement any different uh, from, from what we're hearing here? Did he, did, did he have any suggestions with the arrangement? Or, or was this kind of, uh, when you tracked the demo, was that how the song went? I, I kind of think the latter is true. I mean, the only real difference that I can remember is that the beginning of the song, where, you know, it says, don't run away. On the no traffic version, we stop. In the live version, we stop. In fact, yes. live, we actually don't even sing it. We just let the crowd usually just does that. And thank you, because it's uh, I, I need that moment just to catch my breath usually. So thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, but on the um, on the uh, the EP version, we actually sort of play a, a play through. We sort of play the riff like we would continuously throughout the rest of the verse. That happens already. But for the most part, arrangement wise yeah i don't think there's anything different we do the whole preverb uh thing in the bridge you know with the, the reverse drums the bon jovi yeah you know, preverb so we'll get there uh <laughs> we're gonna get there so, what are you saying here in the chorus lyrically i think i'm just talking about my life my world i will see you from a new view i think there is something extraordinarily important about travel you know this right like until you sit in in a van or sit on a plane and arrive at a destination that takes eight hours or 12 hours or 24 hours to get to 
a person doesn't have a really great grasp of how big the world is, right? And how different people are at different points upon that earth. And there's something very, very sort of like emotionally and existentially maybe important about that moment when traveling so far and taking so long to do it and then getting there and then having an experience with different people so that your worldview changes, your worldview is updated and enlightened, right? And I will see you from a new view. That line is, is again, sort of directed back at me, like, I'm going to have a different understanding of life once I travel, you know, 11 hours on a plane to the other side of the world in a different time zone. And I play my song again for a completely different group of people than I ever had before. You know, like there's like I think people that kind of live in their own, their you know, they grow up in a, in a town and then they 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 their adult life is spent living in that town. I I feel they're missing out on something. There's there's a, a level of understanding that's not attained about people, you know, until you yeah. go meet people from further away than you know your your town. I completely agree and, and can relate with that. Yeah, everything you everything you just said the the in betweens the airports the trains the hotels the the meeting different cultures different yeah. foods yeah. all all of all of that experience which which is great. I love this lyric because it's abstract in a sense, you know. Sure. But I always felt this was a love song, but it it, it isn't. That's it, if in anything, it's a love song to the life of being a touring musician in some respects. Yeah. Or or uh, and and then in parts. And like I said, it's a little schizophrenic. Like I, I, and I do that lyrically because, well, frankly, it's, it's just more fun. <laughs> yeah. The ambiguity is great. I always think about David Bowie, uh, how he, you know, like the stories of him were just like cutting up words and then throwing them up in the air or whatever, and then rearranging them. And that's how, that's what the lyrics are. And they don't make any sense. And that's okay because he's David Bowie. I'm like, well, <laughs> why can't I do, why can't I at least just be like less, less story, less literal. Like I just want to, see, I want the, the phonetics to feel good and have an impact, but I also want the words just like sort of mean something in that moment and not necessarily, I'm not trying to tell a larger story. Sometimes I'm just trying to convey a feeling, you know? And, and I think this sure. is, this is both a song to me and to my band and then back at just bands, like just go for it guys. There's something special about what we're doing as it relates to your whole life. And there's a colloquialism that um, it's better to ask forgiveness than to, uh, you know, ask permission, ask permission. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the dickish way of saying it. But like, really what I'm saying here is like, it's better to know than to wonder yeah about your dreams and so this is that well this chorus uh, much like the top of the song with a uh, chorus progression that tambourines there with those 16th notes just makes it move it just makes it feel faster uh, than it is from the chorus chorus one we're immediately into verse two you've got a way that distracts me from my everyday not much to say out of way so let us through This verse is interesting to me, Jamie, because if anything, you know, you would think that that you'd want to build a song in a sense where, where this would have been the first verse because this is broke down with your strumming patterns. You got your eighth note guitars here for half Pull of back. it, but it's interspersed. Yeah, it's interspersed with the strumming pattern of verse one. It's it's, it's really cool. Uh, if anything, again, when I was studying the song, I thought that, that, that it would be flipped, but I think it works works great here. The lyric uh, for verse two is, you've got a way that distracts me from my everyday. Not much to say on our way, so let us through. We're not afraid of the harmful things that you might say. 
You might be right. We might be wrong. Be strong. Get ready to. And on strong, get ready to the last line, the drums, bass, and the guitars, they ring out uh, like verse one again. So again, you're, you're basically just, uh, I guess, expounding on, on verse one and what's going on here. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know if you're like this, but like, I kind of can't remember my lyrics unless I'm singing them. And especially weird when you have someone reciting them back to you, not singing them to you. It's strange too. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. Grab your guitar. Let's hear it. Uh, You know, again, it's sort of like the, there's a restraint in the music that we apply that isn't in the first verse, right? The first verse is just, ah, you know, like we're, we're just, I'm I'm on to make sure that it's all exclamation points, right? Musically. And here we're like, okay, we've, now we've done our chorus. Like let's, do the unexpected and pull back a little bit, you know, like you said, songs typically sort of build over time and there's not, there's no one way to do anything, obviously. And if you want to, you know, keep writing songs long enough, you want to eventually amuse yourself. (laughs) So uh, going the other direction and pulling back, I think is, is totally, you know, uh, something I employ actually kind of frequently, but yeah, the ideas that are in this verse to me are just kind of more of the same. It's just a different way. Maybe maybe a little bit more vulnerable sounding, I suppose. You know, you've got a way that distracts me from my everyday. Again, that's to music. That's me telling music. I love music. I love you, music. You know, I, this sounds a little remedial and a little childish in some respects. But and I haven't thought about this the song lyrically. In I mean, you you say it's remedial, but but it, but it's abstract enough to me to where it's not. Yeah. I had no idea where you were going with this song. I've been I've heard this song for over 20 years and yeah. I'm I'm learning about it through a fresh <laughs> fresh lens right now. It's right. it's really cool. Well, it's funny because talking about it too almost sort of redefines it again for me. I, I, I again, I don't have like a one-to-one look at this in any of my songs after they're after they're recorded. You know, usually there's that 6-month period where you go back and put on your latest record and you go, "Okay." And it doesn't sound like your work anymore. It sounds like like music that you could maybe listen to. And yeah. then that's my favorite time to listen to any of my music. And then I probably put it away for another year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's like, you're like, okay, by the time you get the end of record, you're like, okay, I, re- I remember working on this now. I got to put this away. So <laughs> I lived it. Yeah. I lived it. I don't need to hear it. So, uh, but yeah, more, a more vulnerable sort of take on, on verse one, I suppose. And maybe that, that that's why it sort of sinks and fits in with the restraint. Well, I think it's awesome. Chorus two is a double chorus. very end of this chorus you say calling you again with a different melody that leads us into the bridge and this bridge is this bridge is great we're not giving up even after heavy casualties, things are looking up. And on these three lines, there's eighth note palm mute chugging that's happening on the guitars. 
Uh, the fourth line is songs are catching like it's some disease. The guitars go to like a big downstroke strumming pattern here. Last line, your invention of some cruelty. Oh, please. And there's a buildup on the drums, bass, and guitar there uh, before what I'm calling a bust. And there's this little tambourine shake there uh, before we get into the to, to, to what I'm like. Again, I'm calling a bust. I don't think I've ever referred to that on this show before, but this is the, the perfect definition of what I'm considering a bust. We'll get into that in a moment. There are harmonies on things are looking up and your invention of some cruelty, which I want to talk to you about. I know you love harmonies. You've always been about them. On this particular song, did you have harmonies? Do you remember in different places or were they always where they were at? I think they're always where they're at. I mean, I, you know, I would say that I, when I'm writing a song, I, the vocals and the, and the, uh, like, let's say the guitar part, right. Kind of happen simultaneously. And at the same time, I'm probably coming up with lyrics. I'm probably also imagining where I would want to punctuate those lyrics with harmonies. So by the time I get to, the recording phase, I kind of know what to do, or at least I have a target in mind. This verse lyrically is, is this is sort of about Rory. Now we're not giving up even after heavy casualties at this point in the band, you know, Rory Phillips and I from the impossible started the stereo and I had then since kicked him out and, you know, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't getting along. We weren't, you know, musically we're collaborating as great you know like as great as we ever were and i never ever once in all of my life since knowing him ever thought that he wasn't a fantastic uh songwriter but but in a band together at that time at our level of youth and immaturity just we just were not making it happen again and uh, you know probably a lot of where what you heard of me being difficult to work with comes from this time period you know I got to tell you, you're kind of blowing my mind right now because there was a moment last (laughs) night I'm listening to this song, uh, you know, like really hyper focusing in on it. And these two lines, we're not giving up even after heavy casualties. I thought it might be about perseverance of being in a band and pushing on and knowing your history of being through band members by this point. Uh, That was the one thing I went, well, maybe this isn't a love song, but I kind of brushed it off. And now that you're saying it, it's it's awesome. It's tripped me out. Yeah. it is definitely this section of the song is definitely just sort of the reflective and, and you can kind of hear me cheer myself up <laughs> in, a, a, in a little arc here that happens. You know, we're not giving up even after heavy casualties, things are looking up, songs are catching like it's some disease, which is the arrogance of, of me, like on full display, right? Our, our shit is, doesn't stink. <laughs> we're the, we're the, we're the jam, right? You know, and then the denial, right? The arc is your invention of some cruelty, please. Like what? I haven't killed anybody. What are you talking about? I'm just writing rock and roll, you know, (laughs) that whole. And and it's funny to me because like that in itself, uh, the bridge to me is almost the whole story of the song just in one section. And then the rest of it is just scenery surrounding it lyrically. You know, that's really interesting. Well, at the end here of the bridge, there's a buildup on the drums, bass and guitar, as I had mentioned. And there's like this really quick tambourine shake that goes into rattlesnake, by the way rattlesnake there yeah. you go yeah that's the, that's 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 that, the term it's, that, yeah. it's the it's the rattle that happens and it's what i referred to as a bust it's uh an interlude it's the part after the bridge before the last chorus it's eight measures i also wrote my notes this is the arena rock part okay correct <laughs> The 
the guitars are panned. The stereo guitar is just off to the left, one guitar. And there's these backwards, like, reverb. Were they backwards snare drums that are coming in there? Yeah, so um, it's, I'll go a little technical so people can understand. So what you do is, if you ever heard music where you hear, like, a swooping up, swishing sound into a drum hit, like, right? Before the invention of Pro Tools and flipping things around, you know, easy as pie, what you would have to do is you actually flip the reels of your tape upside down. Like you basically turn your tape upside down on the tape machine. And so now as it plays, it's actually playing the opposite direction, right? So it's playing the song from, <laughs> from the end of the song to, to the beginning of the song. And then if you apply effects to that, it actually, and record them onto the tape and then flip the tape around again, now it will play the effects that you just recorded backwards into the sounds that, we're creating those reverb sounds. It's called we call it preverb. And now with technology, we can push a we can push a button and do that. It, yeah, it's it's it can take seconds <laughs> to do it. Now it was before. It's like yeah, there's a lot of okay. Get out your notepad. Or here's where it starts. Here's where it ends. And you would never know how good it sounded or didn't sound uh, until you sort of like did the whole process and then listen back to it and like, okay, I don't like that reverb. Then you have to start it again. And, and it required, if your song was in the middle of the reels, you have to re rewind the whole damn thing, flip it over. And it was a, a huge, huge deal. So I don't know how long it took us, but it was like one of those classic, like we want the Bon Jovi drum hits here, man. Come on. Zha, you, that's exactly zha. what it is. It's, it's the, the arena. Yeah, <laughs> it's the uh, arena '80s rock part, and it is—it's it, awesome. And those backward snares are coming before each drum hits, and uh, there's a floor tom and rack tom, and then you have it, intermittent kick drums that are happening for the first four measures. On the back half, uh, the back four measures, the bass comes in. The other stereo guitar is panned off right, so now you got full stereo guitars comes in on the last four measures, and at the last measure, the band rings out. There's like this buried guitar solo run that happens there real quick there is it's almost yeah it's like this guitar lead doesn't it go isn't that part in there this little funk guitar <laughs> Maybe. if you're saying there's a guitar solo in there we really gave the kitchen sink to this part of the song because we've got like the preverb bon jovi we got the the riff rock we got the bass drops we got the kick hits we got funk guitar. <laughs> now we got a guitar solo. What what's left, right? Like I'm hearing I'm hearing like a half measure guitar run there panned off to the right. And then Jamie, I'm perplexed by this. Do you say, and this is kind of buried, do you say it almost sounds like my head or my hand before you go into chorus? My head. My head. My head. Yeah, okay. My, my, okay. Like my head gets inside of you. Like I and one version of me says, My head gets inside of you, and the other one just holds it out, my head. Fun fact. And, and and maybe this is uh, debunking some stereo lore. I do not say butthead. <laughs> I've had a lot of fans over the years go, why do you say butthead in the middle of New Tokyo? I'm like, I don't. I'm sorry. I, I don't say butthead. I didn't, I didn't see that when I was Googling the lyrics, nor did I see any lyric here. And I'm like, what is he saying there? It sounded like my head and I said yeah. my hand maybe, but it was my head. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I, I do want everybody to know is now I do say butthead. Like live, I say butthead. Yeah. <laughs> well, we get into chorus three. Chorus three is another uh, double chorus here. Hey, 
Harmonies are in the same spots. You got that 16th note tambo that's going through here. When you get to the second half, the band stops on I Will See You. It's just you alone there. The band is back in on From a New View. And then on that line as well, you get a little falsetto there mm. on, on that I Will See You line. That was always kind of one of your signature things. I could never do the falsetto thing. I tried. If either you can do it or you can't, and I can't do it or even make it even right. uh, pull it off at all. But it, but it's great there. Uh, lo- love the dynamics. The new Tokyo is calling you on the la- on the last Tokyo. There, it's a different melody that you go to. It's so so good and refreshing there to, to lift on that melody and you get the calling you and the very last one you say ooh 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 and there's another harmony that comes in there that's panned off left that's pretty loud I love how that comes in there and the song's just still lifting and then you get the the band at the end the jing 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 you end on that big C note the tambourine is ringing out the rattlesnakes happen in there and do I hear organ pads here on the fade out I don't think so. No, maybe it's some stereo on a guitar or chorus on a guitar, excuse me, or something that I'm that I'm hearing. In my recollection, I don't think there would have been any keyboards on this song. There's definitely keyboards on on the record in different places, yeah. but I don't think there's any keyboards on this song. In fact, I think it's just the end of the song would likely have been uh, a total of uh, three guitars, two rhythm guitars, hard panned, you know, uh, just kind of playing through the chord wash. And then there was a little chimey ding, 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 you know, sort of um, police siren guitar that's happened. Maybe I'm hearing some delay from that or something on the on the mix. Yeah. At the final kind of crash chords, you know, the B to C sharp. There's a response that the, the chimey guitar does that goes down. So the, the band goes, da, 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 lifts up, but then the nah, 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 it happens after it. You know, talking about this this many years later sounds really intellectual and smart. Like, oh, there's a dichotomy of up and down. But I think it just sounded cool. <laughs> and it did, man. And I got to be honest, it's been, it had been a minute since I put this song on. And I've just been immersed in it the past few days. And I said it at the top. Uh, perfect little little pop gem here. I always love this song, but it's been been a real joy to go back and, and revisit it and, and, and fall in love with it again. Thank you. You know, Jamie, for the listeners, has been doing, uh, geez, probably for the last 15 or more years, you've been fully immersed in producing, recording, engineering, and mixing. Uh, you produced most of the Punchline album. Our uh, producer, Chris, uh, Punchline, uh, Just Say Yes in 2008. And uh, you did the whole Punchline album, Delightfully Pleased in 2010. And yeah. uh, February, of 2022 you guys launched a kickstarter to fund a new record entitled 13 with an accompanying podcast series so tell us a little bit about that before before we go okay yeah uh, so we actually the record is all done we, we we didn't necessarily fund the record we we wanted to just do kind of like you know this is a different day and age for us and you know you and i are creatures of the old the old model where you get signed to a label and do, you know do this that and the other and 
get on the road and sell your wares and all that good stuff, right? It, it, things are a lot different now and, and then add a pandemic on yeah. top of it. And it's just completely bizarre how any of us are trying to figure out how to use music as a utility for your life's work, right? So we kind of, you know, we, we, we got this record done and we sat around, <laughs> it kind of felt like we sat around for about two years going, what are we going to, we going to do about this? Like we have this thing and we talked to different people, approach labels, big and small, and nothing ever felt like it was just going to work or there wasn't enough interest or we weren't interested or whatever, right? Some, some form of not going to happen, happened. And so we were left with, well, I guess let's just try to put this out on our own. But we're like, well, what if we, what if we did like a Kickstarter just to kind of, just to kind of cover the cost of vinyl. And then that way we could also kind of gauge what kind of interest, you know, people had in it. And so we launched this with this really small goal in the beginning, just to kind of cover the, the pressing costs. And we funded in 20 minutes and we were just like, oh, okay. And like, by the end of the day, we had doubled and, we, and we're like, okay, this is okay. So we're like scrambling. We're like, okay, now we obviously have to come up with like more sort of like stretch goals to make this work. And so, so far um, what started out is like a sort of like a, let's do like 5k thing. We're, we're not like, we're about to cross $32,000 and our fans are, are, are just going crazy for it and we're going crazy for them and we're just we're so excited and now we're now we're going to do this like uh hi-fi sort of 4k uh studio concert film and we're we're sort of aiming towards you know uh getting like one more stretch goal so we can get like a proper music video made like a really good one and uh and we've upgraded everybody to like deluxe gatefold vinyl and you know like white vinyl or clear vinyl we're kind of still arguing whatnot <laughs> what we're going to do, but we're trying to get everything terrific for, for our fans. And I got to jump in and say, congratulations. Thank I mean, kind of going back to what you talked about earlier. I mean, what vindication, <laughs> you know, and sure. you, you start, you started this band, you, you, you took a lot of time off. Yeah. You did the odd reunion show here or there, but uh, your, your fans remembered you in a big way, man. That's awesome. Trust me. It's pretty great being us right now. We're, we're very happy and we're, we're so thankful. And, and, and we, it's, it's hard to even like really describe the feeling. It's just like, it's overwhelming. It's and, and emotional to be honest. It's like, gosh, you know, thank you so much. You know? um, but we're, well, ultimately what we're trying to do though, is just share some more music with everybody. And then Rory during the course of all of this, you know, Rory's has, you know, when we reunited in 2011 for the few by ramen, 15 year anniversary shows in New York. You know, it's funny because the band has sort of been together in this form now, like twice as long as it was when we were actually around, you know what I mean? With, yeah. With no lineup changes, only about like six shows too. It's the slowest tour ever, but like, it's funny, but this anyway, so part of Rory's story is that, you know, he was there in the beginning of the band and now he's back. Right. But there's this huge window in the middle where he doesn't, he doesn't really know what what's happened. And like you sort of alluded to, you know, there was these, these rumors about what it was like to be, to work with B or to, you know, the stereo kind of started to have a almost spinal tap esque revolving <laughs> guitar player problem. Like every tour, there's some yeah. guy, right. You know, and I'm, and I'm guitar guy this time, you know what I mean? Like our band isn't Motley Crue. We don't have that story to tell. We're just kind of normal guys, but we do have a story to tell. That's probably even more relatable than any, band stories you've heard because you know yeah we kind of got to a point where we had an impact and we had opportunities it's not most bands don't get to go on tour certainly most bands don't get to go on tour overseas and you know yeah. 14 countries and all the all the cool adventures that we got to do but then 
a lot of bands that do get to that level have just these crazy stories of, of drama, you know, self-imposed drama in our case, right? And like bad luck and this, that, and the other. We kind of thought Rory's angle was like, let, I want to find out what happened to my band when I wasn't in it through this podcast and tell the story of what happened. And then also have like the sort of the reconciliation between me and Rory, but have it happen in the podcast, um, which it does. Like we kind of, that's awesome. we saved it. We didn't, we, we had buried the hatchet a long time ago, but we didn't really go into the details. We just kind of like, you know, the arm punch and the, and the, the buddy hug and, and we're good, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But for the podcast, we, we open the wound deep and it gets pretty intense. Um, and we talk about all the things that happened, all the things that went wrong. And, you know, like you said earlier, you know, Stereo had this sort of outsized influence on its, maybe its peers or the, or the bands that came after, but why didn't the stereo, you know, the stereo was five years ahead is I think what you said. Right. Yeah. And so it kind of examines like what happened? Why did this band who seemed to have all the pieces in place for superstar and why did it, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, more bands can relate to that because there's been how many great bands have you known that just for whatever reason it's just this combination of you said talent effort luck and just the cosmos it's just yeah. all all at once and you could you could never really gauge that and um i think that's awesome i'm i'm looking forward to to, to checking that out and before we go i gotta ask you yeah who's more difficult to work with in 2022 jamie wolford or rory phillips uh, still Jamie Wolford. I, I hope I, <laughs> I am the, uh, I hold the, I, I wear the crown, you know. There's lots more Chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Do you enjoy the content and production of Krista Makes a Podcast? Do you have an idea for a podcast? or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Demera, a band out of Rockford, Illinois. Demera is the brainchild of Billy Culpa, who plays drums, bass, and sings lead vocals, and Kevin Mitchell, who plays guitar and does backing vocals. Here's a snippet of their song, The Adults in the Room. Calling the adults in the room. 
and Chris. Well, I really enjoyed that episode. Jamie is an old friend and I love hearing him talk about music. I've loved this song for a long time. And we were deciding on the song. I personally strongly pushed for this one. Yeah, there was a number of songs that I could could have seen doing. But uh, as I said to Jamie, I think this is a, a perfect little pop tune. And I think it was a, a great choice for, uh, for this episode. The stereo has a lot of those perfect pop songs. In preparation for this episode, I put on just on random the stereo. And it's just like so many songs. Even their last Fueled by Ramen album, uh, Rewind and Record. I don't know if you're familiar with that album, Chris, but it's just like jam after jam after jam. Yeah. As I mentioned, I, I think they were five years ahead of their time. And uh, it was a shame they they broke up so early on that initial run. I, I really thought that, that great things were ahead for them. But as Jamie said, you know, he he knows he's a perfectionist. He uh, it, it's hard to keep a band together no matter who you are. And uh, they went through those trials and tribulations, but they're back now. Yeah. Never too late, man. The, the whole new stereo album comes out next month in May. And uh, yeah, so they just took a hiatus and, and maybe now is their time. You never know. Um, you know, there were a lot of things about this episode, Chris, that I thought were, were pretty funny and or crazy. The first one being... Jamie talking about going from one tape machine to another oh. when he was talking about that. And I know you were thinking the same thing. I'm like, damn, wouldn't it have just been easier for you to just re-record these vocals rather than do this? I know. And I, I think that uh, it's such a killer vocal take. And I think that's what he was afraid of not being able to replicate because yeah, right. he spent whatever uh, the better part of a, you know, or a full day on uh, trying to transfer all these vocals when he could have sang it uh, in, in an hour, but he felt there was some magic there. And, and I tend to agree with him. Yeah. I mean, you've talked, about that on past episodes before about not being able to necessarily replicate the magic you had the one time so jamie did what he had to to make it happen again for the full length yeah and what he did would now take about 30 minutes with pro tools uh, right. <laughs> it's just what he what he was talking about doing was it was a uh, a frankenstein uh, mashup of epic proportions he talked about how they started playing new tokyo before they even had lyrics for it. You could do that back in the day because you kind of heard, you know, I know what he's talking about. It shows whether it's, you know, a club with not the greatest sound system or some, you know, hole in the wall VFW or whatever. People don't necessarily, they, they'll hear the like phonetics of it, but not necessarily be able to decipher the lyrics. Have you ever done that, Chris? Have you ever played a song before you had lyrics? So many times. I mean, less than Jake did it uh, pre-Hello Rockview. The first song on the record is called Last Man Out of Liberty City. Uh, the working title was Bulletproof. I made up the vocals, just nonsensical. We played it at a, it was a skate and surf shop in Sarasota, Florida, I think in April of 98. The record didn't come out till that fall. Uh, we were also playing Big Crash back then with a different arrangement from, from the same record. So yeah, but again, I mentioned the episode. You could get away with it. It wasn't on YouTube four hours later right yeah for sure <laughs> that was a big part of it <laughs> for sure i liked jamie talking about his songwriting process i feel like it's similar to mine and i'm sure yours too i think most songwriters once again just kind of humming something maybe a few words pop into your head while you're humming something and then you go from there and i found it really interesting that he said that this song was a 
basically a pep talk to himself. I never took that away, but now that he says that, it's like, oh yeah, every line about this makes sense in that context. No, it's pretty amazing, and, and it's it's also interesting. When I was studying for the song and uh, going through it, I even mentioned the bridge. When I got to the lyrics, we're not giving up even after heavy casualties. I I thought for a second, maybe this isn't a, a love song or something. Maybe this is kind of you know speaking inward uh, about themselves, and, and I was right. Right. I mean, I think I always listened to this song without really analyzing what the words meant, and... It's just kind of what Jamie more or less said was the song and the melodies convey a feeling. And I liked yes. I liked that feeling, even though I didn't know specifically what the song was about. Yeah, I, I had mentioned to him, I love the ambiguity of that lyric, New Tokyo is calling you. What does that mean? You know? Right. And I've, I've always loved lyrics like that, because what, what does it mean? It means whatever it means to you, and the next person, it means something else, and the next person, it means something else. And that's why music's so subjective and special. I really like that he talked about how important travel is and how it changes your worldview. That is the most valuable thing that I've gained from touring is just, like he said, being in other cultures, meeting people from other places, and just it expands your world so much and makes you, I don't know, empathetic to a a lot of things. I think that not traveling, you, you tend to like view other people as so much different or you don't care but i feel like traveling's so important i'm sure you've taken a lot of valuable lessons away from traveling oh well yeah i think that was so awesome that he touched on that it's something i don't think we really talked about uh, on the show and it's it's so true those just learning and and being inspired to write songs while being in another country i can't tell you how many times that's happened i'm in a hotel room in tokyo it's like oh this is so cool i'm looking out look at this scenery look at this view and and you're experiencing things that you uh you never would have experienced if you had stayed put uh where where you always are where you always live i also related to when he said that feeling of when you get to travel out of the country for the first time and that thought that I mean, I've had the same exact thought that he said, I can't believe my songs are giving me a free vacation with my friends. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. that's that's amazing. That's amazing. We've got to go to Japan and, you know, Europe and even even Canada, you know, even traveling to other countries and getting to play music. That's that's amazing. You wrote a song and then it took you to these places all over the world. Right. And, you know, they uh, with the new album, they have an accompanying podcast series that kind of details uh, where the band's been and where they're going. And and, you know, basically, you know, talks about uh, there's people in there that, that you know, bands, Fallout Boy, uh, a bunch of different bands that talk about being influenced by the stereo. And I can't tell you how many bands, uh, you know, that, that came after them had had that uh, that sound, what what they were doing. I, again, feel they were so far ahead of their time. Well, with. You know, I was right there in the thick of it in the the stereo fallout boy or whatever. I mean, it's pretty obvious that the vocal stylings of Patrick Stump oh, yeah. were inspired by Jamie Wolford. Like they had a very very similar styles of singing, both great singers, you know, but I feel like both guys not afraid to I don't know, bring that soul out in their voice. Is that the right word I'm looking for? Just something, you know, there's a lot of really high-pitched singers or like punk sounding singers in the world of like our style of music and these guys had those like pretty 
dare dare I say Motowny type type of vocal stylings. Oh yeah, there was def definitely some soul in there for for sure. And man, we 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 touched on Animal Chin at the top of the episode, his first band, and and Jamie even made mention of it. <laughs> you want to talk about uh, singing up there? He was yeah. singing so high in those days, and he he started to to rein it in with with the stereo a bit as, as the years have went by. But uh, great episode, great band, and it was it was really great to catch up with uh, with an old friend. Yeah, and I can't wait to listen to that stereo podcast. You know what I'm going to give that podcast, Chris, once I listen to it. What are you going to give it? I have a feeling. I, th- I think I may know, Chris. Are, are you going to give it a rating and a review? I am going to go straight to Apple Podcasts, give it five stars and a review. Yes. I'm already assuming I'm giving it five stars, even though I haven't heard it yet. At the time of this recording, I'm sure by the time people are listening to this, I've already listened to all of it. But at the time of recording this They've only released one episode, and I'm going to listen to it on the treadmill tomorrow. Uh, and I will be giving it five stars, unless I think it's bad. <laughs> I doubt I'm going to think that. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, hey, if you haven't already, join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. It is a lot of fun. It's awesome. And yes, I'm still writing custom songs. I'd love to write a custom song for you, that special someone, a coworker, a friend, a foe. Hit me up, Makes at gmail.com. I also do jingles for businesses and podcasts. And I want to thank this week guest, Mr. Jamie Wolford from The Stereo, and we'll see you next week. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael. Of Otis Redding. Of Amy Winehouse. Of Michael Hutchins. Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you... Jumping around, singing your heart out feeling understood and it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now that feeling that feeling is coming soon from crowd network just search for death of a rock star on your podcast app and subscribe now